Welcome to Careers in Discovery, your window into the world of leaders in pharma and biotech. Brought to you by Singular Talent, making hiring better for organizations involved in drug discovery and R&D. Deborah O'Neill is the CEO of Nova Biotics, a company leading the charge to harness innate immunity to treat infectious diseases. Deborah joined us to talk about her key learns over 18 years of building and running a successful biotech company. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by Deborah O'Neill of Nova Biotics. Deborah, welcome to Careers in Discovery. Thank you for having me, Tom. Pleasure to be taking part in one of your great podcasts. Ah, thank you. It's great to see you. Um, I'd love to start by talking a bit about Nova Biotics and, and the work that you're doing there. Um, I, I picked up a couple of things from, from researching the company. The one that really caught my eye was smart immunology, and I'd love to hear a bit more about that and, and the platform that you're developing there. Sure. So Nova Biotics is a drug discovery and development biotechnology company. Mm-hmm. And yes, immunology is is a key word. So our mission is to transform the way a range of life-limiting and life-threatening diseases are treated. Hmm. And this is based on um, therapies using the immune system as a template for interventions. Um, A lot of the diseases that we're tackling are in the infectious disease space, but we're an immunology company and tackling conditions really in the respiratory inflammation and infectious space and Mm -hmm. we've got a pipeline of compounds from the preclinical stage all the way through to um, phase three nearing commercialization which is exciting. I see I see and and I'm assuming that although you're looking at lots of different uh, therapy areas disease areas that there's an underlying I guess platform principle behind the the programs that you're running common to all is these therapies that we've developed have been engineered Mm -hmm. um, from the immune system so how the immune system and immunology fights disease basically so we're approaching disease from the host side um, rather than trying to to kind of screen and use completely synthetic approaches um, coming back to that smart immunology it's really seeing the immune system and specifically the innate immune system as a massively untapped resource Mm. of blueprints for molecules which we can use or even supercharge almost in their native form as interventions for a range of, of diseases understanding more the mechanism of action of at least those classes of molecule so even though they're not biologics in the sense that we're not an antibody company Mm -hmm. we see them as being biologics in a way in that they've been engineered against molecules which the body uses to deal with as, as i said before respiratory disease infectious disease inflammatory disease Yes, interesting. I think it's it's a really fascinating concept for me. I'm I'm not an immunologist by any stretch, but I find the whole the whole thing really interesting in that um I think all researchers would would freely admit that they're building on the research that's gone before them. So so why not build on the research of billions of years of evolution and, and harness that, right? Exactly. And I'm an immunologist by training. Mm-hmm. 
fascinates and frustrates me in equal measure that, you know, immunology has transformed the oncology space now, thank goodness, to some degree, the the inflammation space with anti-TNFs. Yes. But it's not really touched the sides of, of the infectious disease space. And mm. Kind of the first role, you could say, of, of the immune system. So, you know, Novobiotics is at the forefront, but we're not alone in this, this movement, I guess, to look at immune-based therapies for tackling the range of diseases that, yes. that, that we are targeting. And do you think that's, um, obviously, there are trends in biotech, right? particularly investment trends and, and things that people get interested in and, and build a wave around and whatever. Is that why it hasn't really touch the sides as you say in infectious disease do you think or yeah so i mm. guess infectious disease overall has just not been a favorite or particularly sexy area um which seems crazy obviously coming out of the pandemic which <laughs> has had minimal positives obviously mm. but one of them has been shining a spotlight on the infectious disease space in a way that has never been done before and inflammatory disease because obviously you know a lot of the, the the issue with covid was down to the inflammatory consequence of the right. infection um, and not necessarily the virus per se so it seems crazy now, and I think the, the attention of the world has been turned back to infectious disease, seeing in the most awful way the consequences that it can have, you know, globally on yes. health, socioeconomically. Um, so I, I think that the tide has turned, but even if you think of um, bacterial infection, antimicrobial resistance, you know, we've got another pandemic that has been coming you know a, a, a big tsunami that's already on its way mm. and a global crisis that's already here but just the economic model and the commercial model um for infectious disease treatments and particularly antibiotics that yes um when they work unfortunately they work um the the treatments that are out there are generally cheap effective mm -hmm. um so that lack of pull um case and 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 commercial case for these therapies but that's now changing with these different models mm. um, and different funds so i think we're hopefully going to start to see this this trickle down effect in the uk leading which is fantastic at least in the the policy space and i'm just yes. focusing on amr now antimicrobial resistance but um nice and the nhs shortly to announce details of um the, the contracts with two pharma companies that have been part of this pilot subscription model so two antibiotics that um the companies will be rewarded for completely mm. linked to how much they sell. So this new subscription model, the UK is the first in the world to have developed one, to have well launched it in a pilot form, which is, yes. which is phenomenal. So that change was coming before the pandemic. So lots of things, at least in the infectious disease area, and that commercial case for developing therapies that is is back now. Yes. So I'd like to think that this encourages more innovation, um, more Novobiotics to um, develop and, and exciting new technologies that importantly 
mitigate resistance. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm thinking of bacterial and also fungal infection and, you know, will encourage investment in those technologies, in, in new companies. And we've got funds now like the AMR Action Fund. Yes. That can provide the um, big valley of death financing for clinical stage assets. So a lot's changed um, mm. in, in the past few years and things that certainly weren't there in a landscape that's very different to when Novobiotics began. Yes. And of course, we have a, a pipeline that focuses on, on more than bacterial infection, but it, it's very important that, that that's now there and that that change is happening. It's always slow. <laughs> um, it's happening, and it's happening around the world. The Pasteur Act in the US. It's great yes. that was first, and that all goes back to the O'Neill report. So all the work that Lord O'Neill and the, the team put in, mm -hmm. Dame Sally, and the fantastic work she continues to do. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll see the impact. I think. Um, yeah, what, what trickles down now from the announcements from um, NICE and the NHS VR subscription model? Yes. Well, hopefully it's the, the sort of first crack in the dam, right? And it picks up momentum from here because, as you say, you know, there's been this, of course, entrenched reimbursement model that's just prevented a lot of things from moving forward. And hopefully this is the, this is the start of it. But it must be... Of course, it's come from somewhat tragic circumstances, as you touched on, but it must be quite an exciting time for you as the chief executive of a company in the infectious disease space, in the antimicrobial space, to, to I guess, have that platform to talk about the things that you've been talking about for, for all this time. And tell us a bit about where Novobiotics is today. We'll talk a bit about the story of it so far as well, but tell us about where you are today as a business and what, what's happening with Novobiotics as a company. Yeah, so it, it's an exciting stage for us now. We are a, a mature company, so we have developed, as you say, those those product candidates from our mm. two um, platforms, and they've matured, they've advanced. So we now have our phase three candidate um, that's currently in the REMAP-CAP global trial for community-acquired pneumonia. Mm -hmm. That includes pneumonia um, caused by COVID, but also other pneumonias. So pneumonia from bacterial infection and also flu. So it's great to have that as a phase three asset and, and be at that stage. Um, and we've also got um, also, I guess, in the respiratory inflammatory infectious disease space, our registration study ready. Um, asset NM001 for cystic um and specifically infectious exacerbations. Mm -hmm. um, so we've got some advanced product candidates in a very different space as well, um, thinking of, you know, a phase three asset and that progressing and, and thinking now of, of commercialization of that and, and being much nearer to revenue. Um, we've also got our topical antifungal treatment, um, which is a world away in terms of therapeutic area from community acquired pneumonia and cystic yes. fibrosis, but a huge market. Um, so this is our fungal nail infection therapy. So it's, you know, I think a $6 billion global market still. And that's something that with um, our marketing partner, who we signed a, a licensing agreement with last year, 
you know, we're looking at that being in launched in the in the not too distant future. Mm-hmm. So it's it's exciting after you know developing these therapies that that we're looking more now towards the the commercial bit of the life cycle of those assets and also the company. So late stage products, but supported by an exciting earlier stage pipeline mm-hmm. as well. So we have our MP339 um, antifungal candidate for life-threatening fungal diseases and also chronic respiratory um, fungal disease. So we're excited to advance that further along in the future and also earlier stage antibacterial technology as well. So it's that nice balanced portfolio, early stage all the way through to very late stage. So, you know, lots of exciting R&D still happening, but the fruits of our labor now kind of coming to coming to bear, so to speak. No, it's good to see. And it's interesting to see such diverse range of, of therapies as well. I guess I guess the immune system was never licensed for a particular indication, right? So, uh, so I suppose it makes sense that it would take you in these different places. Exactly. And, you know, the, the two platforms that, that we have, you know, our peptide platform mm-hmm. and our small molecule cystamine platform, all the, you know, there are many out there we've only just scratched the surface of, of the, the innate immune system so who yes. knows what else is in there that could be a fantastic blueprint for another um much needed class of therapy that's novel as a therapy but as you say the immune system's done all the hard work over <laughs> eons of, of evolution and we're happy to, to capitalize on that yes. um, and hopefully develop medicines that a more targeted a safer because we understand their mechanism of action and certainly in the infectious disease space um mitigate as much as possible um drug resistance opportunities mm. yeah no absolutely and we'll come back to novobiotics because of course your the story of your career is intrinsically linked to the story of the company i i would suspect um i'm always interested in the reasons that people do what they do and and the kind of the 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 origin stories of people's careers if you like and things like that so i'd like to take it back there if that's all right um you mentioned that you're an immunologist by training um for you though deborah taking it further back than that even you know why science why drug research and why immunology for you so Many, many, many moons ago, I was exposed to medical research, um, even before, I guess, formally studying science Mm -hmm. at a a later stage. Um, um, And this was kind of because of, of personal reasons, because of health reasons. So having that exposure to um research and even where the funding came from this was research funded by a, a small charity yes and also understanding that you know th- this was research into um an unmet area of need um, so being exposed to that at the same time as just getting into kind of o levels etc um decided that I definitely wanted to to do something in biomedical sciences. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't quite sure exactly what, but knew it had to be something that, you know, studying science was a platform for. Um, I definitely enjoyed 
history and humanities more so happy to be upfront (laughs) and be honest (laughs) about that but just knew I guess the future for me career-wise was definitely something involving sciences so Mm. kept that as as broad as I could until discovering immunology I guess so did three sciences at O level showing my age A level and did a biochemistry degree and yes. one of the, the modules was immunology um, and loved my degree and I think it was great because you know biochemistry degree is fairly broad I was exposed to lots of things but wow you know immunology that was it um mm-hmm. i probably fell in love with it i always say um i don't know if it's you know de- because of or despite of the complexity of you know, the immune right. system in health and disease but just fascinated me um so wanted to study that as an academic which, mm-hmm. which i did um so my phd was very um different from um what i then went on to do in mucosal immunology so my phd was cellular immunology antigen processing and presentation but again what can go wrong with that process and could possibly um lead to and drive the chronicity of inflammatory um disease right then moved into mucosal immunology um because that even fascinated me you know areas of the body exposed to lots of foreign particles and and, Mm -hmm. and more antigen than than other parts and and why and how is the immune system different there and then did my my first um postdoc around that and then discovered some of the elements that then always stayed with me and started to form the idea of of nova biotics and going back to those blueprints for for new molecules and things like antigen um, enzymes linking then into um, very different proteins with antimicrobial peptides Um, then I guess diversified a little bit, learned a bit of molecular biology for a year in Belgium, uh-huh. but still more about the, the role and regulation of these innate immune first responders, these, yes. these infection fighting molecules. Um, and that was always at the, the back of my mind, but still happy as an academic um, and then moved to Aberdeen. And right time, right place, just had the opportunity um, to really spin the business out, knowing that um, it couldn't be a side project, exploring Mm -hmm. this idea of these molecules that I had in mind being potentially therapeutic um, and commercially viable um, molecules that, that it was soon to become too big just to be a side project to my academic work so yeah of course robotics being created in 2004 in 2004 yes and so but the idea you said you sort of started to started to come to you during that that postdoc that you were doing okay so you'd been sitting with it for a little while at that point um but you know to, to go and launch a company you were still relatively early in your career to go and do that um and i suppose you know, thinking back to 2004 myself, the 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 environment 
uh, entrepreneurialism wasn't quite the same as it is today, right? In that it's it's very well publicized today. You see people starting companies, not left, right, and center. That'd be an exaggeration, but it, it, it's more visible that people yeah. go and do this. But but tell me a bit about that. So so you had this idea. It became clear that it couldn't be a side project for you. Talk, talk me through, I suppose, the the events that unfolded to it spinning out into Novobiotics. Yes, it's a, a, a great point, actually, in terms of how different the landscape mm. is, is now to, to back then. And also, I would say, after three postdocs and, and a few science miles on, on my tyres, I, I would considered myself maybe a... a a, a mature academic who who you know was carrying on along the the, the academic path yes you, you hear a lot of people now who much earlier in their scientific careers have that um entrepreneurial spark mm-hmm. and, and and want to do something which is also great and probably that landscape was part of why i did carry on along the academic path I look back now I would like to say it was also design as well as just the the opportunity because I think it was important to learn my trade as a as a scientist um, and progress kind of through the academic ranks and and actually know my stuff and Mm -hmm. and do the experiments plan the experiments um etc you know, the same with um, managing a, a small group, all the stuff that I always say to entrepreneurs of the future is actually really important and part of those skills that you'll take with you um, into and that are completely transferable and, and mm-hmm. very important. But for me, it was just really a case of being in the right place at the right time in Scotland in 2002, actually, where it really all started. Um, there was a big push for entrepreneurially minded academics to not necessarily make the leap but at least test a commercially relevant idea through particular funding streams and this was directly from the government and also um, Scottish Enterprise so Mm -hmm. Scotland's Economic Development Agency Um, and I went with one of those particular funding calls thinking yeah this idea that I've had (laughs) I think actually um, I like the sound of just testing this through this this funding mechanism Um, but that ended up being very different and set me on a path to having discussions with um, Scottish Enterprise, lots of advisors and rethinking the idea and the project was mm-hmm. a business idea um, and that actually happened quite quickly so through that though I did get um, it was a, a different package of funding but the initial funding to get the initial key experiments that I needed and really set everything in train in terms of the patents and the foundation for Nova Biotics and then by 2004 um it was clear that you know I had to make what to me was just a step rather than a big leap to spin the business out to be able to get the 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 funding that was required 
um, and to have everything in a, an independent entity. So to me, it was just the obvious move to make, yes. but also thinking, as, a, as I still say to others, with that particular journey in mind, that um, you can always go back. That's why it is a step. It's not a leap. And again, I think one thing that's changed as well as that being much more the norm now, and I completely mm. agree with you, is this is this fluid career path, and it, and that it's it's kind of I don't even want to say bi-directional; it's all directional um, from academia into business and and back again. Yeah, and you know that that's absolutely fine. It's not just a if I do this, that's it. Um, it was always going to be an experience, no matter what the outcome. But the only way to test this idea that, that then became Novabiotics now, you know, almost twenty years on. Mm. No, absolutely, and I think I think it's a really good point. It's um, even if you were to launch a business that you you ran for. Or maybe even if you didn't run it, even if you're just part of that business mm-hmm. at the beginning of it, um, even if you did that for a year or two and it didn't work, the amount that you'll have learned through that experience and the Absolutely. the amount of things you'll have you'd have sort of realized about yourself and about your research and and all that kind of thing, it's it's an incredibly formative experience. And I think you're right. I think it's um, we see much more transition from industry back to academia in general, not just from startup businesses, but um. Yeah, it's, it's important to to spread that word, I think, because I think a lot of people don't take that step because of the because of the risk, right? Um, whereas you can mitigate that risk a little bit by just keeping an open mind and and keeping good connections and continuing to be nice to people and all that kind of thing. Exactly, and I think you know whether it's academic institutions or just uh, you know a, a, a a larger kind of culture change I think mm. um it, it's it's a, a very British thing as well that you know failure is not really an option but I think part of encouraging more bio entrepreneurs is that message that it's more likely not to work than to work um, yes. and that's absolutely fine and think back to your experiments they're called experiments for a reason you know you wouldn't be doing them if you absolutely knew the outcome and it was guaranteed you wouldn't even have to to bother so um it's absolutely fine and it, it's it's the experience and as you say what you learn the new skills that that you acquire or those mm. that you develop further that you already had a great thing to have on your cv and whether you go on to your next thing or you do go back into academia it, it's all for the good absolutely and i think there's there's so much that goes into a business becoming successful especially early on you know not not least of which is is timing and some sort of luck right that um you of course a business can fail because you didn't do something right but you can do everything right and it still doesn't quite work and it's it's something that i mean you'll know this very well i'm sure but it's something that they They've recognized in the US, certainly, and, and actually a failed business is, is not a black mark on your record. But I think you're right. I think it's starting to become, as long as you can articulate the lessons that you took from it, it's starting to become more accepted here. But it's, it's taken a long time. Um, yeah. But, but think it, t- tell me a bit about those early days, because I suppose you, you went in knowing the science inside out is something you'd been working on for some time. As you say, you, you'd thought about what you needed to do experientially and uh, sorry, experimentally. And you've got some experience of running teams and, and managing people, which, again, I agree is, is 
hugely valuable and is one of the things that people sometimes forget. They, they worry more about getting an MBA than they do about learning to manage people. <laughs> but you, of course, haven't run a business before and there's lots of things that come with that. So t- tell me a bit about those early days and what that was like and the things that you remember from it and the, the formative experiences that, that you went through then. I think the two things, it being great fun, really Mm -hmm. enjoyed those early days and obviously incredibly hard, but a very different kind of hard work because, you know, you love it. It's it's, it's your business. So the crazy hours that you put in and you still continue to nearly 20 years (laughs) old. It's I think because it's it was such a change as well. Um, I just, you know, loved every minute of it and. Every minute was a school day, never mind every mm-hmm. day was a school day. But that was part of, I think, the enjoyment, just learning so much um, with great guidance um, and a great safety net of people with the experience that I didn't have around me that allowed me to learn, but in yes. I would say a safe space, which I think is really important. Um and I think, as you say, the, an MBA cannot teach you how to start or run a business. <laughs> it's very much the practice, not the theory. And being able to do that with the, the right support and the network around you um, is, is phenomenal. Um, and as the, the business developed and grew, obviously, the, it becomes more about the hard work and less about mm-hmm. the fun, as much as it, it still is fun. Yes. Um, and you still continue to, to to learn every day. But it was interesting for me because very much starting the business as an academic, but my own kind of personal background was, was very entrepreneurial from a family that had already okay. had their own business. So I think that probably fed into my mindset of it, you know, it not being a big leap, it being a step. Mm-hmm. And that, that world of... The responsibility that you have as a business leader to me not being foreign and in fact that having been my life and seeing parents and the rest of the family have that um so i think that helped me and my kind of upbringing and my background in that respect um was part of the mix that that led me to doing what i did by kind of starting and, and still being here at novartix Yes, no, I can see that. That's that's interesting. I, I'm interested to pick up on that point you make about responsibility because I think um, that is something I think that people often underestimate is not just the responsibility you have, but the responsibility you feel as well as a, as a business leader. I mean, t- tell me about your take on that and, and what you've experienced from that point of view. I think from day one and that you know first investment it's the responsibility to your your shareholders Mm -hmm. day one and employee number one your responsibility to them um but I always say and again I think it's it's that mindset and whether you could do um a genetic test for this but I think I'm that kind Mm -hmm. of person that would much rather have the responsibility for other people's you know mortgages than let somebody else have the responsibility for mine and kind of happy to have that but 
always being very, very mindful, but, you know, definitely sat in the middle, knowing where our investment comes from, particularly with, um, you know, whether it's a big fund or it's a high net worth, somebody's very hard in cash that you're responsible for and ultimately a return for them. But that um, responsibility for your team, the personnel, yes. um, for their livelihood as well as for their own career and their own kind of personal development, because they're taking a risk coming on board mm. to a, a biotech company um, and, you know, very much rewarding them, obviously, with with options and, you know, them ultimately, you know, getting a, a part of whatever ultimate reward Novobotics gets. Um, yes. But mindful that it's never secure. There are risks involved on the upside for them. Um, there's the excitement, there's being part of a, a small team and, you know, very much part of... Um, you know the the success as well so that and, and obviously that being part of their reasoning for for coming mm -hmm. on board um and enjoying the roller coaster that is um biotech yes. revenue <laughs> yeah absolutely do you know what? i always think back to the first couple of people that, that i brought in here as well and i sometimes am amazed that they joined because it wasn't really a company it was just me in a room and it wasn't even my own room. I was sharing it with someone. <laughs> and it, it's, as you say, you do feel, uh, especially, I mean, to everybody who joins you, but especially those people who joined early on, there is a, a gratitude to those people, isn't there, that, that you want to reward. So no, I, I, I can see that. And I suppose fast forwarding on almost 18 years now, Deborah, um, from, from a first time CEO, a startup CEO coming from an academic environment to now you're an experienced CEO, you have an established company, as you say, you're in, uh, in the clinic, lots of different, um, lots of different branches to your business, lots of different aspects to it. As a CEO, what do you think? Well, I suppose two questions. How has your role changed? I'm sure it's changed a lot, but what are the biggest changes? And, and what do you think have been the most important learning experiences for you? Or what are the most important things that you've learned? It's probably a better way to, to ask that. So I guess answering the, the learnings, and, I, I, and this is not being trite, but definitely it's always going to take 10 times longer <laughs> than, than you thought, no matter um, how well it's planned, even mm. if all the stars are aligned. And it's probably going to cost not quite 10 times more, but but a lot more. And just accept that, you know, as, yes. as phenomenal as you might be at, at project management, at planning, budget control, um, it's it's biotech. So you 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 learn to adjust for that because there's the timing that you want and timing that that should be, as well as yeah. So to some extent costs and the reality <laughs> and yeah just just accepting that um and to i guess something that um a mentor once said to enjoy the journey mm -hmm. and this isn't because the destination is never guaranteed and True. it's not just with the company but i think each of the the programs because nothing is guaranteed to work and touch what everything has with Novobiotics and our pipeline so far but mm -hmm. learning from the fact that you never get to be 
from A in a direct route. There's always been you know, a diversions um, and enjoying that and actually learning from it. So we wouldn't have the pipeline that we have yes. if we hadn't diversified out of necessity and capitalizing on those opportunities. And I think that's what a good CEO and a good leader does. And if your business plan looks anything like it did, and I still have mine from 2000, <laughs> <laughs> there's something seriously wrong. You, know, yes. you have to learn to adapt and be flexible and actually um, turn it into a positive, which, which we certainly have, but that still goes back to, the world will move the goalpost, so there's nothing you can mm-hmm. do about it. So things will take longer, um, have contingencies, you know, learn to mitigate and actually come out of it better because of that, which which we have done. And yes, I think yes. that is the sign of a, a good leader to be able to understand um, the world, market conditions, um, adapt, be flexible and, um, you know, I'm not sure the word pivots completely right because mm. we'll have the same pipeline and and you know portfolio and product platforms. We never became a, an oncology company. You know we stuck to infectious disease, inflammation, respiratory, mm-hmm. um, but have have read what the world needs and have have adapted and and are still here because of that yeah no absolutely and it's good to have that old business plan just in case you ever need a good old chuckle right (laughs) graphics in ours if anything else it's like powerpoint circa 2004 fantastic (laughs) no absolutely absolutely it's interesting isn't it i suppose it's it's um it's somewhat about being able to, as you say, be flexible enough to not go, well, this is what we planned. So this is, this is terrible that this isn't happening and, and everything's going wrong, but be able to go, well, this is where we are and this is what's happened. So let's make the best of it. Shall we, what's our, what's our best decision from here? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, being able to take the team along with you on that mm-hmm. basis as well. Um and as you say, kind of dealing with it in it, it, this just as, you know, real life rather than it's a crisis that, you know, we, 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 we can't come out of definitely. And I think in that regard, back to the first question, I don't think my role has really changed much, still multitasking too much, um, I should think, because we've remained, a, you know, a, a very small team. Yes. Still, that mix of um, being the CEO, but much more hands-on, and still having a CSO role. Um, but I actually love that, and I think um, at least being very close to the the technology, the programs, and the innovation is very important for leaders in in my kind of company and i think we're, we're seeing that more also in much larger businesses being able to sit down with the ceo and discuss the mechanism of action yes of you know your key compounds and the ceo knowing their stuff about the technology as as well as as the corporate stuff is is very important so mm. 
Um, all I can say is I'm traveling less, but that's the same for all of us. That's the only bit that's probably changed. <laughs> that's true. And, and managing those two aspects to the role then, what would traditionally be the CSO and the CEO role? Is that is that really just a question of time management? Because I think a lot of scientists find it difficult to, to step away from the science, right? And it's not something they want to do. It's not why they did that job. So being able to retain that connection to it is, is attractive for a lot of people. Oh, definitely. Um, and I think saying to folks, you know, you you won't necessarily lose that. You won't just mm. suddenly become corporate and be locked out of labs. <laughs> and in fact, you know, I always have got the, the, the best of both worlds because, you know, I'm more involved in, in the planning, the project management of, of the programs, and I get to see the data at the end of it and yes. the, the brilliant team put in all the hard work that I used to do in the middle in the lab so um but I think it's 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 very important so you still have very senior scientists that that manage the programs day to day mm. but to still be very hands-on and also being able to probably give that more helicopter view because you're not there in the detail and in the mix you've got a slightly different perspective and number one you have to have the commercial perspective and make sure that everything that's being done is obviously in line with the company strategy it's not yes. science for the sake of science but i think you, you can like anybody who's not involved in, in the detail also input and actually be really valuable to the science team by mm -hmm. having that slightly different um input um because you know you have that broader view rather than their much more focused view so i think it's it's something that shouldn't put anybody who is, is worried about stepping away from the science off thinking yes. about the leadership role but at the same time i think leaders should not stray too far um from the, the science and even mm -hmm. if they, they you know nobody will have the same role as anybody else so nobody's going to have my roles yeah but definitely um yeah probably a, a, a word of advice for anybody again thinking about this journey you know even if you you can't be as hands-on as me definitely interact yes. <laughs> with your senior science team and absolutely keep your hand in um yeah. It's important to know broadly what's happening in those exactly. labs you're paying all that money for. <laughs> um, and, and actually, that sort of preempts my next question, I suppose. Is there anything else that you'd recommend to people in terms of what they should think about? If they're thinking about, I nearly said taking that leap, uh, taking that step uh, <laughs> to start a business, anything else that you think is useful to reflect on or consider or, or any other recommendations you'd have? I always say that senior scientists so and I, I'm, I'm thinking and I don't want even earlier stage scientists to be put off but that um, you know senior researchers have more bioentrepreneurial skills than mm. probably give themselves credit for and it's back to that um, managing your own research and you know already you've been putting your neck on the line and being quite entrepreneurial about the research that you do because yeah. you wouldn't be doing it and you wouldn't have been writing the grant proposals if what you were doing was different, was cutting edge. 
Um, so you've already had the confidence to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, probably managed budgets, even if it was just you know a research grant budget, managed a small team. Um, so you're already probably more of a bio-entrepreneur than you mm. think, and those skills are all transferable. So take those with you and never be put off by the perception of what a leader, as you say, you might not want to be the, the CEO, you might want to have a very senior yes. um, technical role, but same thing, don't be put off by the perception of what you think those senior roles or those leadership roles are because no such thing exists, you know, there's no mould. If you think that it's right for you, that's your ambition, take those skills with you. Um, you will never learn anything, you know, ha- have learned everything. Um, you will continue to learn and develop as you go. So that's another thing, oh, I'm, I'm not ready. Um, have experienced people around you. Mm you in the things that you don't know in the in the critical um things that that you do need commercially and and for the business um and and learn from and with them as as you go yes yeah i think i think it's a common misperception that, that we see as well actually is that there's an assumption the people who are in senior leadership roles, whatever those might be, or, or where you know people who are further along in their career know how to do everything that they're doing, and of course some of them are more competent than others, and sometimes you've done stuff before and and what have you. But if if you 100% knew how to do all aspects of your job, it'd be a bit dull, wouldn't it? Exactly, exactly, and you, you'll still be hiring people who are much smarter and much better than you at certain things and mm-hmm. you always need um, a, a team around you in that regard, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Coming back to Nova Biotics, you've talked about where things are. It's an exciting time, lots of lots of things happening with your programmes. What's next? What's the, the rest of 2022 holding for the company, do you think? I think focusing on our phase three trial. So very excited about um, getting more patients into that mm-hmm. and heading towards hopefully the, the first data readouts at some point and continuing to, to bring the pipeline forward behind that um, as much as we can. So again, with that nice mix of um, later stage assets, you know, and focusing on, moving those further towards commercialization and dare I say revenue um, as well as you know still building from those two great technology platforms that we have and advancing the therapy candidates from those as well. So not a quiet year then. (laughs) No such thing. I don't think we've ever had one and there'll ever be one on the cards but it's always exciting (laughs) always exciting busy well we wish you the best of luck with it it's a very exciting time and uh and we will keep an eye out and thank you very much for joining us pleasure great to chat tom thank you thanks for joining us on careers in discovery and don't forget to subscribe for more insight into the world of drug discovery and r&d Do take a look at our sponsors, Singular Talent, and their mission to make hiring better for companies and individuals in drug discovery and R&D. You can find them at www.singulartalent.io. See you next time.